SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Merriam-Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary-defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks, and we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850+, plus, their best-selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not <laughs> what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if, like, a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 plus Manuka honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's manukora.com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Welcome to SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive knowledge showcase starring some of the geniuses that make the YouTube series SciShow happen. This week, as always, I am joined by Stefan Chen. Every time you say my name a little bit more extremely. Yeah. And one time you're going to like go beyond. It's going to go too far. Yeah. I'm going to like hurt your voice. I got a little eye twitch just now. (laughs) So be careful. uh, What's your tag on? Poopy diaper? Oh, no. no. <laughs> we were just talking up? about how we don't like poopy diaper as a phrase. Sam Schultz is also here. Hello. What's your tagline? Pee-pee diaper. <laughs> <laughs> it's, the much, it's the better kind. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, Sari Riley. Mm-hmm. Hi. Hello. What's your tagline? Soda sculpture. Diaper. <laughs> just add diaper, diaper on the end of it. <laughs> no. <laughs> and I'm Hank Green, and my tagline is pee-pee mountain. 
Every week here at SciShow Tangents, we get together to try to one-up amaze and delight each other with science facts. We're playing for glory, and we're also keeping score and awarding sandbucks from week to week. We do everything we can to stay on topic, but actually, I lied about that. So, if you go on a tangent and the rest of the team deems it unworthy, you can be Dr. Hank Buck. And now, as always, we introduce this week's topic with a traditional science poem this week from me. The word Adam has a clear meaning. Indivisible, no in-betweening. But then, oh, well, shit, the atom was split. I find that a little demeaning. We worked so darn hard to define it, so immutable you cannot refine it. But down at the particle, there are oh, more no. particles. Subatomic is how we assign it. Particle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, that's great. There are not any words that rhyme with particle, and I wanted one. And particle felt real to me. It felt real. It's like the heart ventricle. It's a part of a heart. Yeah. I would not have been surprised if you busted out a guitar and just sang your. Uh, I thought Strange about Charm it. song. Yes, I thought about Strange Charm, mm-hmm. but I felt like that would be cheating, and you wouldn't <laughs> give me a point for it. I because you've already written it. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't mm-hmm. special for this. Mm-hmm. I think it would have been okay. The fans would have gone crazy for it. Ah, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do that. And our topic is subatomic particles. And I guess, like, that's a pretty, fairly easy thing to define. Well, physicists have talked a lot about it. Yes. And it's any particle that's smaller than an atom. So. Wait, does it, it sm- doesn't have to be part of an atom? Feels like a subatomic particle has to. No, I guess it doesn't. I don't think so. I think oh. it's just like. Just smaller than an atom. Smaller than an atom. Okay, but so I think the only things that are smaller than an atom are the particles that we've identified or and the ones that we've un, are unidentified yeah there are particles that are not in atoms so atoms are made of protons neutrons and electrons okay yeah and then smaller than that you have things like quarks yes are there subatomic particles other than photons that last for significant amounts of time that aren't part of an atom yeah neutrinos and- they're oh, always yeah. chilling okay. out. They're around. They yeah. they last. Is there one in this room right oh, now? Oh, there's tons. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah oh, they don't no. touch us though. That's good. They go right through. Are they like in a different plane plum. of existence? Or no, what? they just are so little. They just don't interact with matter very much. Okay. We're gonna talk about this later, but really, nothing's touching each other ever. Uh-oh. We're just all like mm-hmm. probability clouds. Oh, that old mm. chestnut. <laughs> <laughs> Chestnuts also <laughs> don't touch things. Yeah. Or themselves, really. Yeah, it's basically very, very small things like quantum. And if you say something's quantum, like an Ant-Man, when they say we're going quantum, yeah. they just mean they go to the small, Humor like classical physics usually. stops yeah. making sense. And then you have to start using quantum physics to explain it. It's okay. a different math. Yeah. Deboki shared a tweet with me that said petition to replace quantum with lil. Uh, uh, yeah. That would be helpful for so, me. Yeah, yeah. little okay. mechanics. <laughs> little mechanics. <laughs> that actually is very helpful. Yeah, yeah, that'd be way better. So, are there any? Do you have any meanings behind any of these words? I looked up Adam, but yeah. Hank said it in his poem. It's right. from Greek atomos, which is uncut, unhewn, indivisible. Mm-hmm. But they weren't talking about atoms as we understand them. No, but they had some thought that like you, there ideas. must be something. There was a conversation. If you cut something enough times, eventually uh, do you get to something you can't cut? Right. Kind of like high person conversation. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> cool. Yeah, no, they probably have some kind of leaf that they licked. <laughs> or chewing on. Yeah. yeah. Okay. 
And then it like became used in a scientific sense from like the 1800s, I think, to refer to atomic. This is where like science and philosophy were so intertwined because people were just asking big questions about the universe and like Mm -hmm. yelling out answers. Mm -hmm. And some of them were right. And it's wild. Like back then people would like yell out atoms and it would be like, now we're like, what a genius. But he just happened to be right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The person arguing had all of the same evidence and all of the same reasons, like there wasn't any good reasons to believe atoms were a thing. It just mm-hmm. turned out they were. So there, there might be something I've said that will turn out to be right in the future. And people think I'm a genius? No, not anymore. Oh. Yeah, that's only <laughs> from back when we used to give people a lot of credit mm. for their weird ideas because they were rich and powerful. Okay, unless the world ends, all that's left of media is this podcast. Then right. we start all over again. Yeah, there are worse podcasts to <laughs> rebuild human in, like knowledge and institutions from yeah. than this one. That's so a I blurb. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good blurb, everybody. Thanks, Sari. And now it's time for more Sari, because Sari's doing... <laughs> She's brought three science facts for our education and enjoyment, but only one of those facts is real. We have to decide... Which fact is the true one? If we get it right, you get a sandbuck. If you don't, then you get the sandbuck. Sari, what are your facts? The Fermi National Accelerator Laboratory, called NAL to start, but now Fermilab, is a particle physics research lab in the United States that's been open since 1967. The very basic layout, to my understanding, of early Fermilab particle accelerators is pipes with Hundreds of large, like 20 feet long magnets along the length of them that help guide and focus the particle beam. Mm. But in early years, they ran into some problems with this construction. When these 300 foot ish long pipes are cut, there are tiny metal slivers and dust left behind that can interfere with subatomic particle travel and the magnetism because they're metal slivers. So, scientists needed to find a way to clean out these pipes and do it relatively cheap. An engineer named Robert Sheldon came up with an unconventional solution. Was it, one, tying together a bunch of nylon stockings, threading them through the pipe, and swirling the fabric around? Two, (laughs) making slime from borax glue and warm water that's sticky enough to grab the metal but flowy enough to pour through the pipes a few times? Or three, using a ferret to pull a string through the pipes that they attached a fluffy swab to and pulled back through. (gasps) Wait, Uh, wait. Can't they just flush it with water? How do they pull it back? (laughs) What do they pull back through? The string. So they like make a ferret run through, draw a string through, and then Uh they attach something to the end and pull it back through. So uh, they pull the ferret back through? They're not cleaning it with the ferret. They're not cleaning it with the the ferret. The ferret ferries the... The, is that like, where fairy the, comes from? Uh-huh. Comes from fairy. <laughs> uh, the cleaning apparatus. like Just like walks it through yeah. and then you got a Because ferrets are strength. dirty. You don't want a ferret to be cleaning stuff. I would assume ferrets Maybe are it's a clean ferret. Maybe it's yeah. a very tidy ferret. ferret. I guess you make like soft pieces of clothing out of ferret. Yeah. Well, maybe. They're like, they are. They're little swiffers. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Pouring slime. I'm, in, I'm into like it. Like the kind of slime people make on YouTube. Yeah, but like way before it became a YouTube thing. It was uh, a science uh, thing. So you're saying this was before YouTube? <laughs> yes. You know, Fermilab. <laughs> before YouTube. How long are these pipes? Do you have any idea? Around 300 feet. And how far can a ferret run? That I can't answer. How big are these pipes? There are some measurements, I think, that I read that they were like a foot in diameter, but they can get as small as like a couple inches. Okay. Okay. These are like particle accelerators. Yeah. Yeah. So they need to be really, really clean so that when the magnets, when they assemble it together and they're put magnets on the outside, the stream of very subatomic particles can can be pinging off a little pieces of metal floating around. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. 
So we've got tying together a bunch of nylon stockings, threading them through the pipe, and then swirling it around. Two, making slime from borax, glue, and warm water to pour through there and pick up all the stuff. Or three, run a ferret through there. So he pulls a <laughs> string, uh, and then you can grab a fluffy swab and yank it through the whole whole thing. Because you can't like turn it up on its end and like throw a rock down. <laughs> no, you see, so they could tilt them up, mm-hmm. and so that's like how they would get hypothetically right. all all of the things the in things. so that yeah, it's I'm like the... gravity helps the ferret go down potentially right. or the slime, slime or, the or the stockings okay so if you stick nylon in there that feels like it's going to leave some sort of fibers uh, i don't know just let me have this <laughs> <laughs> nylon doesn't leave fibers that's like why really? it was such a important oh. technology and like cuz mm. unlike other stockings it like didn't rip it didn't like shred really it just stayed. It could okay. stretch, but stay tight. Well, I don't know. The ferret does seem dirty, though. That seems like it would leave something behind. It does, yeah, it does seem like you cause more. You could cause some extra problems. Yeah, what yeah. if you pooped in there? Yeah, you could. You could leave a poopy diaper. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and they probably put a diaper on the ferret. Well, now they all seem plausible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go with the slime one. Slime for Stefan. I'm going ferret because I want us. I want him to be wearing a diaper. I have to get every point this episode, and Ooh. you have to get no extra points this episode for me to tie you. <laughs> All so, right. Well, I've already got a point because I did the poem. I know. I took that into oh. account beforehand. I am going to go with whatever one is left. Oh, okay. What is it? Oh, the nylon the stocking. Yeah. Does that sound good? Do you actually want it, or do you want to? Oh, no. <laughs> um, do you want to hurt Sari more than you want to hurt me? Yeah. Yeah. She's more in the lead. I like the ferret. I'm going oh, with the okay. ferret. Two ferrets. <laughs> Ferret is correct. Yay! <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Sari. No, I, okay. I switched him. At the, yeah, I'm, it's you're never gonna get mad at me. <laughs> Why? What? I just you're too nice. Oh, oh we can get mad at you. Do you want yeah. us to try? Oh, you can get <laughs> mad at me. <laughs> I I'm less likely to get mad at you than Sari is. I feel like you get ornery faster than yeah, I do. You totally do. That's what the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get vengeful. I'm not saying I don't like it. Oh, this is a You're, part of me I didn't know. I love, I love you, man. Okay, I love you too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Glad we worked through that. Okay, Sam and I got it right, right? Mm-hmm. The did you wear diapers? Yeah, she did. Yay. <gasps> oh, oh my god! <laughs> and it was just one ferret. They only had one ferret working. Yeah, on her did name she... was Felicia. Yes, she was about fifteen inches long. She cost thirty-five dollars. <laughs> they oh. go to the store and get a Felicia just for this. They did, but not a store like some sort of ferret ranch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but... that's a store. Yeah, that's yeah. A okay. Kind of store. Uh, special delivery ferrets. from the Wild Game and Fur Farm oh. in Minnesota. So, so oh. Felicia had a. Bad future coming. Uh, yeah. yeah, potentially. Ha- had a better life than she otherwise would have. Yeah. Been. Okay. They didn't ever accelerate particles into her. No. <laughs> okay. They trained her like very gently, started her on shorter tubes to be like, run through this tube. They fitted her, outfitted her with a small leather harness Cute. and a diaper to collect her poop <laughs> and attached to a string so that when she would run through the tube, she could like unhook, they could unhook the string and then attach a cleaning swab, which as far as I could tell is like a brush or a cloth with some sort of cleaning fluid on it. Mm-hmm. And then they'd pull that through and pick up a bunch of dust and metal filings. And do it again and again, however mm-hmm. many times you need. Felicia's yeah. here for you. Does she just go into the darkness? I guess ferrets don't oh, go yeah. the dark. She 
she just ran into the darkness. And part of why they chose ferrets is because, like, ferrets love tunnels. Like, she was a little bit nervous at first because it's just, like, a, a 300-foot-long tunnel. And so by training with small, dark tunnels, mm-hmm. she got more comfortable with it. But they chose ferrets because they, they, like, chase after things in tunnels all the time. This is a picture of her. She's very cute. Oh! Did they keep her around? She's really cute. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, once you train a ferret to clean a yeah. uh, <laughs> particle accelerator. But once they're clean, what are you going to do with a ferret? Maybe it gets dusty in there. You got to do it again. Okay. So they kept her around for a little bit, and apparently all the engineers loved her, okay. and they fed her mm-hmm. meat. She liked raw ground beef, I think. Yeah. Ooh, sounds said. like ferret food. But, but this is not because of them, I don't think. But around 1972, someone else had created a magnetic ferret, basically. They called it a magnetic ferret, modeled after Felicia, but it did not look like a robot. It was just like one of those tubes you stick in a drain pipe and swirl around. Uh So it was like that with magnets on it that they pushed through with compressed air to basically do the same thing as she did. So she was like a temporary solution. Uh So then she retired and she was going to be like live a cushy life. But then uh, like a couple months after she retired, she like went to an emergency vet visit and had an intestinal abscess and died and everyone was really sad because <laughs> she couldn't enjoy her retirement was there slime truth or were you just talking yeah, about slime there, from I, youtube yeah i feel like you were just talking about slime i just made it up like yeah. <laughs> i talked about nylon because the history of nylon very interesting it was created i think initially just at, from by a material scientist who then realized it could be marketed to women for stockings instead of silk mm. but then during one of the world wars, they realized that nylon could also be used for really important like other fabric applications like parachutes. Mm-hmm. And so then they basically banned stockings from being stoled and recalled all of them. And so everyone was in like a stocking frenzy. Huh. It's just like, ah, I need my tights. Well, thanks to Robert Sheldon for bringing us Felicia. Next up, we're going to have a short break and then it'll be time for the fact off. Social Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money, a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. I said it before, and I'll say it again. It's a subscription-based world out there. Video games, art-making programs, food delivery services, these things, they all have dang subscription services to subscribe to. And I don't want to cast aspersions? Dispersions? Aspersions. One of those. But... It does seem like part of the subscription uh, business model is to get you to subscribe to something and then hope that you lose track of everything you subscribe to and just keep forking out 10 bucks a month until the sun mm-hmm. burns out. And you know yeah. what? That's actually a pretty good idea on their part, but it's not such a good idea for your wallet. Your money is like a bean. <laughs> <laughs> You want to plant it in fertile soil. You don't want people carving off pieces of your bean all the time. Yeah, that yeah. bean's not going to grow if, there, if there's a constant drain on the, on bean. the bean. That <laughs> is where Rocket Money comes in. With Rocket Money, you can see all your subscriptions in one place, decide what you do and don't want, and cancel things with just a tap. Rocket Money will even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money. And beyond 
I mean beans. And beyond subscription canceling, <laughs> Rocket Money helps you build budgets, track your spending, and more. There's all kinds of ways to take care of those beans so they grow into a nice big bean plant. It has over 5 million users, and it helps save members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. What would you do with 720 beans? I'd buy more beans. <laughs> <laughs> Different kind of bean, I guess. A, a cheaper, more grow. of a cheaper type you of bean. You buy cheaper beans with your expensive beans. <laughs> yeah, until I had an infinite amount of the cheapest bean you could possibly have. <laughs> Subscription <laughs> companies hate this one simple trick because you figured out their plot. And now you can use that money for beans instead. Stop wasting <laughs> money on things you don't use and start using money on things like beans, cancel your <laughs> unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. Sideshow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as <laughs> the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was an internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the, 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 the part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you... Uh, by yourself you gotta be careful but luckily shopify (laughs) has all kinds of little tools to help you with that to help you with increasing conversions to help you with managing orders with customer support with all of the stuff uh because it's a you know i don't know it feels like the industry standard and so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your shopify work for you in particular That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. (laughs) Downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. We're back, everybody. Sam Buck totals. Sari, you got one. Sam, you got one. Stephanie, you got none. I am in the lead with two. Good job. Thanks. I appreciate that. (laughs) Is Stephanie the least likely to get mad at you? Am I the least likely to get mad in general? Yeah, I I don't think I've ever seen Stephanie mad. Yeah, this is like what we were talking about where you don't even have like a resting bitch face. No. Like you just have a friendly face. I feel like I do because I have a very blank 
face sometimes. And I feel like a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I've seen Stefan in some situations where he should be mad but wasn't. Mm. I think you're less likely to become... I'm a chill dude. You're a California guy. (laughs) Skateboarding around. Surfing the waves. So now it is time for the fact off. Two panelists have brought science facts to present to the others in an attempt to blow their minds. The presentees each have a sandbuck to award the fact that we like the most. Sari and I have the sandbucks to award. It will be Sam versus Stefan presenting your facts. And to decide who goes first, you have to tell me each how many flavors of lepton there are. Oh, balls. Sam, how many flavors of leptons are there? 4,000. 4,000. Yeah. Sam went with 4,000. I'm going to say six. <laughs> closer to, I don't know, but I know that it's closer to six than 4,000. The answer is six. Oh, oh Stefan got it exactly. Wow. A good half does. Did you know that or did uh, you? I have heard the number six before. Uh-huh. <laughs> I thought At it might be in your life. Yeah, okay. This, All right. Uh... <laughs> so I guess Stefan, you want to go first? Oh, uh, sure. I'll go first. To make sense of this, I have to explain something called surface plasmon resonance. I don't know what that is. <laughs> so basically, you have a gold sheet, and if you shine the right frequency of laser on that sheet mm. at the right angle, the light excites the electrons on the surface of the gold, and they resonate in waves. And so those waves are the plasmons. If you're trying to visualize it, you can think of it as like the surface of the gold. You've got sort of like a guitar string that's that's vibrating in slow motion. Cool. Where you can kind of see the, the waves happening. Mm-hmm. And these plasmon waves are sensitive to the environment around them. And so one way to measure how two molecules are interacting is if you attach a bunch of one molecule to the gold sheet and then flow a bunch of the other molecule past it, when they bind, they affect the frequency of those waves, which changes how much of the laser is absorbed. And so by measuring how much is of the laser light is being reflected, you can get a sense of like what's happening with the molecules. Like how frequently they're bonded yeah. or unbonded. I'm pretty sure I've simplified some of this, but that's basically yeah, what's so you shine a laser at something, it tells and it, and using cool particle physics, it tells you yes. things about molecular interactions between mm-hmm. two two chemicals. Yes. Cool. And that's surface plasmon resonance. And so there's this paper from the National Institute of Standards and Technology mm-hmm. where they take a gold sheet and then they have this, they describe them as diving boards that are like on top of it. And on the bottom of the diving boards are little gold nanoparticles. So you have gold nanoparticle right above this gold sheet. And like it's arranged so that there is a tiny space between them. But that space is so small that a laser light couldn't actually penetrate it. So they couldn't measure. So you can't measure it because you need the light to bounce off it to like mm-hmm. measure it. Mm-hmm. But what they can do is use this a similar technique where you're bouncing the light off of the gold nanoparticle. So you get these plasmon waves. And then if the diving board moves, if the gap changes width, then that changes the frequency of those waves and then changes the absorption of the light. Mm-hmm. And so then you can you can measure it. Why do you want to do that? So they describe it as very similar to the devices that detect motion and orientation in your phone. Mm. So like if you had this 
little chip with all these diving boards on it and these gold nanoparticles in your phone and you like wiggle your phone around, the diving boards are wiggling. Mm -hmm. And so you can measure these gap changes. Mm. Obviously, we already have smartphones that detect those things, but this would be like the next level of like miniaturizing those. Right. Smaller, more Mm -hmm. sensitive. Yeah. Maybe less energy intense to use. Yeah. And I guess it's also similar to the things that they use for airbags, like detecting Mm. when those should go off and stuff like that. It's like the tiniest accelerometer. When you are looking for something like what you're describing, do you theorize that it exists and then figure out a way to look for if it exists? Like a wave, the wave. How do they know the wave's going to be there? It's kind of a coin toss. It Mm -hmm. could either be that they did math first and they were like, I wonder if we could actually show this in the lab. Mm -hmm. Or they were like, had some gold foil and they shot a laser at it and they were like, this is weird. Okay. Why is it changing? Why is the absorption changing? And they're like, oh, it's because there's some, you know, oxygen reacting with oxygen making ozone on the surface of the gold or something. Wow. People are smart. They are so smart. (laughs) All right. That was weird. Good diving board, Stefan. All right. So for my thing to make sense, I have Mm -hmm. to explain something called YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) So way back in 2011, which is like a million years ago in internet time, there were a number of videos showing off a very neat home experiment where people were cooling purified water in really Mm -hmm. clean containers down past the freezing point, but the water would not freeze. It would Mm -hmm. stay liquid. And that's because ice needs a new Nucleation site to form, which is either an impurity in the water or the water jostling around and clicking all the whatever water's made out of into ice form. Is that about molecules? right? Molecules. Yeah. Water molecules. <laughs> yeah. Atoms. Oh, that's an important word later in my thing. <laughs> uh, Remember that. First, let's explain molecules. The science couch has got you. Uh, We're you. at a level that I understand Yeah, again. this is good. Yeah, super cooling. I'm all there for. Yeah. So then the experimenter would shake the bottle up and the water would basically like freeze in Insta front of freeze. your very eyes. Yeah. Very cool. We even made a video about it in 2014, which was really helpful to me. It said the word molecules in it for sure. So inspired <laughs> by these videos, last year, a team of scientists studying super cold water figured out, I think kind of accidentally, that it doesn't require something as dramatic as being shaken up to freeze, but can be triggered by certain kinds of uncharged subatomic particles passing through it. Ooh. So using this discovery, they made a new kind of particle detector called a snowball chamber. It is basically like a chamber of super cold water sitting like totally away from the world. And then when a subatomic particle passes through it, it freezes. Nice. So it's only affected by uncharged particles. And I had to email the guy who wrote the paper to figure out why that was. His name is Matthew (laughs) Zadegas. And he told me that, quote, charged particles interact with the electrons and lose their energy spread out over a greater distance. This is called DE over DX. Okay. I don't know what that means. Too low of DE over DX means energy is not deposited within a critical radius, so no nucleation happens. So I think what that means is that charged particles don't lose their energy in a big enough burst to jostle the water enough for it to click into ice shape. So it only picks up uncharged particles, basically. And there's even some uncharged particles like gamma rays that don't set it off. So why is this good? Dark matter is a hypothetical form of matter Right? Yep. That is basically has to exist for the world, for like the universe to make sense. Yep. Is that pretty much what? <laughs> yeah, sure. It's never been observed, but it's also thought to have similar properties to uncharged particles. So the team behind the chamber thinks that this might be a really easy way to positively identify 
interactions between dark matter and real matter. So particle detectors search for dark matter by watching for unexplained nudges of atoms Mm -hmm. in the chamber that that they're passing through. They nudge the nuclei of the atoms, uh, but they also, regular ones pick up, like ones up until now, pick up lots of interference from charged particles. So you have to like screen for all those, which makes it way more complicated. But this one would effectively just automatically screen for that. And because water is hydrogen, which is the lightest molecule, is that right? Adam. Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) They think they could search for way smaller pieces of dark matter than they've ever been able Hmm. to search for before because it's lighter and it would be easier to nudge. So how would they know if they found dark matter is that charged particles bounce and scatter in the chamber. And you can see video shot like super slow of the charged particles coming in and then like splitting off and making lots of different nucleation points at once. But they theorize that dark matter would only make one nucleation point. So they basically like just search their videos for a single nucleation point. Do you mean uncharged particles? Yes. Whatever one hits the thing. (laughs) Okay. You just said charged. Uncharged particles scatter Mm. when they hit the water. So a bunch Uh, of them. Yeah. A bunch of nucleation sites at once. But they think that dark matter would only interact once with what it was passing through and not scatter. So they'd have to look for a video of that happening. Mm. And then they would hypothetically have an interaction. Like neutrinos are just this like field of like particles that are passing through everything all the time. Yeah. Is that the idea for dark matter too? Is like there's just like a field of dark matter that permeates everything? It's not supposed to be a field. It's supposed to be particles. It just doesn't interact with anything mm. it doesn't see it doesn't even interact with itself all it has is mass but it has mass and so it affects how the galaxy moves around so it's very possible that it only like, affects through gravitational mm. force it's like literally impossible to record it nudging anything mm, yeah okay yeah i mean we don't know okay we really don't know anything about dark matter except that it has gravity i mean all we really know is that there is more gravity than there should be mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And dark matter is an explanation for that. Yeah. So it could, we could in uh, 10 or 100 years realize that it's something else right. and call it something other than dark matter. Right. Yeah. So we've got Stefan's plasmon resonance diving boards to measure a, a gap that light can't even get into. And Sam has a team studying super cold water to try and detect dark matter because it will super freeze that water if if any dark matter flows through it, maybe. Okay, three, two, one, Sam. Sam. Oh! I'm back, baby. (laughs) (laughs) You reached out to the scientist. It did. That That you actually wrote a song. He was really nice. He wrote me back really fast. (laughs) He was like, no one cares about my dark matter snowballs. (laughs) I care. (laughs) And I will... Leave his paper in the show notes and right. maybe paraphrase his explanation of what he sent to me also to help you figure it out at home. <laughs> <laughs> Where's our show notes? The show notes are at scishowtangents.org. If you click on any episode, it'll bring you to a page with, with awesome. our notes and our and our research and stuff. And now it's time to ask the science couch. We've got some listener questions for our couch of finally honed scientific minds. This is from at Pottery Geek, who says, so. Atoms are a lot of space and a little particle. Do the particles even touch each other? Any of them? Like, even a little? So it depends on how you define touch. Yeah, it depends on how you define particle, too. Like, (laughs) what is anything at that point? Mm -hmm. It's just excitations in a field. So, like, yeah, your butt isn't touching this couch, even though it feels like it. You're, like, 
hovering just slightly over it. In the macro world, it's touching. Yeah, I mean, we say touch because— It's it's the only useful way to talk about it. We can sense all the things, like the firmness and the— So how do we sense all the things? Electricity? Yeah, electromagnetic interaction. Mm -hmm. Phew. So, uh, <laughs> if they did touch each other, would that be really bad? So there is a case. I I can Ooh. step through the different definitions of touch because okay. there is a case where they can be touching. Neat. Because that's where physics gets really wibbly wobbly. Uh-huh. One definition of touch, when you're talking about atomic things, is when two things influence each other. Hmm. And so under that definition, which is the broadest. All atoms are always touching because, like, its wave function extends out. So I'm touching you. Wait, so so all mm. atoms are always touching every other atom? Yeah, so, like, I'm touching you right now. I'm touching the listener of this podcast right now. Like, by virtue of of the listener hearing what we're saying, we're affecting them? No, no, by virtue of, like, I have mass, they have mass, and so my mass Um, interacts with their mass. uh, In the same way that, like, gravity from very, very distant objects Mm -hmm. is still affecting us just yeah, like okay. almost indistinguishable right. amount. Right, but that is also okay. true of electromagnetism yes. and the strong force and the weak force, even the ones that have very tiny distances. Even the weak force? They stretch. <laughs> even the weak oh, force, yeah. Sam! Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So that definition of touch... Useless. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> definition two is touch is when two objects influence each other significantly. Love so that like one. a little mm, asterisk on top yeah, of that yeah, first yeah. definition. Enough that like my nerves fire. So sitting on this chair. Sitting on this chair with an atom, you consider like the size of the atom to be the sphere that contains 95% of the atom's electron mass. So that's what we talk about when we're like orbital spheres and things like that. Like how big an atom is, is mm-hmm. where 95% of its mass is. Because if you say 100% of its mass... That's everything. It's everything. What do you mean everything? What, everything. Like probability yeah. fields. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. This is so stupid. It's a lot of math. And so with this definition, you're saying that atoms are touching when that region of 95% of them start to overlap. And that can be like a bond, a chemical bond. Uh-huh. When two atoms mm. are bonded, then they like overlap enough to be considered touching. Oh, yeah. Even if they're not bonded, they could still influence each other's size. Yeah. Even I think me sitting. Okay. It squishes the atoms some. Mm-hmm. Doesn't overlap them. Overlapping probability fields of where an electron may or may not be. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, you ready for the next one? Pottery geek, do things touch? Wait, just you, just you wait. The hundred percent of an atom size is the universe. Yeah. Oh, keep going, Sari. And then, if you consider touching as two objects residing in the exact same location. Yeah. Okay. So, like, if you were actually like pressed up against mm-hmm. something else. The Pauli exclusion principle, which you learn about in chemistry, mm-hmm. says that like electrons can never occupy the same space as one another. Like in the probability field, there will be distinct electrons. There will never be two electrons in one spot. But because physics, there is mm-hmm. a material, I think, known as a Bose-Einstein condensate, where at very low temperatures, some atoms can exist at the same location as other atoms. I'm not going to try to explain it beyond that, but it's just like Hmm. near absolute zero. They, quote, coalesce into a single quantum mechanical entity. That's all. Simple answer to a simple question. So everything's all the same and nothing's touching. No, everything is all different and nothing's touching. Or we all occupy the same quantum mechanical 
entity and everything is touching. That sounds bad. Basically, we should think about touching not in physics ways, but in normal human ways. <laughs> okay, good. Yes. Okay. Do not correct your children when they say, I touched that dog uh, poop <laughs> and say, well, yeah, technically your you electromagnetic <laughs> field approached it. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to ask the science coach your questions, and I, how could you not after this, uh, you can tweet us at SciShowTangents. We will send out the topics for every episode that is upcoming so you can find out what the topic is and let us know if you have any relevant questions. Thank you to at awesome TK at casual peruser and everybody else who tweeted us your questions this episode. Final scores! Stefan, you came in with I nothing. did terribly. <laughs> yeah, you did. And then Sari's got one and then I've got two and then Sam... Still in last place, but I made up a lot of distance. Yeah, yeah there we go. You Good and job. Matthew, that scientist, real yes. dream team. <gasps> Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Matthew. If you like this show and you want to help us out, very easy to do that. You can leave us a review wherever you listen. That's very helpful. It helps us know what you think about the show. Also, we're going to be looking at iTunes reviews for topic ideas for future episodes, so you can leave those in there. Second, tweet us your favorite moment from the episode because I want to know if it's about ferrets or about diapers or about poop. <laughs> We got very excited this episode, and by we, I mean a lot of me. <laughs> and finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell people about us. Thank you for joining us. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. I've been Stefan Chin. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is a co-production of Complexly and the wonderful team at WNYC Studios. It's greeted by all of us and produced by Caitlin Hoffmeister and Sam Schultz, who also edits a lot of these episodes along with Hiroko Matsushima. Our editorial assistant is Deboki Chakravarti. Our sound design is by Joseph Tuna Medish. Our social media organizer is Victoria Von Giorno, and we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But one more thing. Speaking of poop, (laughs) for a lot of creatures that poop like us, the intestinal muscle movements that make pooping possible are triggered by neurotransmitters being released from motor neurons. But for the tiny roundworm C. elegans, its intestinal cells, not its nerve cells, release protons that stimulate muscles and make them poop, which is very biologically unexpected. That's biologically unexpected. (laughs) I'll say... That's a proton poop. (laughs) (laughs) That was a great science joke, Stefan. Yes. (laughs) It's a proton pump like a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.